Bench Racing Radio. Bench Racing Radio. The podcast with your hosts, Eric Gio and Anthony Leake. How's it going today, Anthony? It's going pretty good. How about you, Eric? Living the dream, buddy. Living the dream. Every single day. Every damn day. Through clenched teeth. <laughs> Doesn't it feel like a dream, though? Doesn't the last year feel like a dream? Like all these things have happened with COVID and and restrictions and everything, and it just feels like deja vu when we're in March again, and everything's just racking up all over. And it's kind of like, okay, well, what's summer going to look like again? You know, the uncertainty of summer being repeated was not something that most of us expected. I, I think maybe we all kind of had that inkling. You know, I know a, 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 a an interesting. A prediction from Paul Viert was last summer, and he said, it doesn't look like that border's going to open until September of next year. Well, here we are in in March, and it's been delayed to April, and I don't think anyone is expecting it to open until September or October again. So, yeah, yeah, it's no, not looking Paul, good. Uh, well, Paul called that one. Hey, he he sure did. <laughs> can confirm. Yeah, no, it's it's funny. Just our, uh, our, our timelines that we had in mind on it, you know, like I had to cancel my social right when this whole thing came down last year. It's like, oh yeah, maybe we'll be able to do it in like June. <laughs> hmm. Wedding was supposed to be in October. Maybe that'll go this October. Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> at this point, the expectations are all gone, and we're just kind of like waiting. And it's weird because yeah. that's something you're supposed to be excited about. And I'm just like, I'm not over it, but I'm also <laughs> not getting my hopes up because <laughs> just get it all come crashing down again. So I don't know, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's a light at the end of the tunnel, but it's a very long tunnel. And, you know, with all the hope and excitement about vaccines, and I think it's finally in Canada starting to roll out properly. I mean, I think the government kind of dropped the ball on this whole deal. But, you know, what do you do, right? I mean, the reality is you got these all these companies trying to produce and there's shortages of everything. I mean, I think there was a vial shortage for two or three weeks for a little while. So it's it hasn't been easy on anybody. No, no, totally. I, I... I can feel for how tough it would be to be trying to get that all out and trying to do everything at warp speed. And, you know, when, when you're trying to run before you're ready, you, you make other mistakes and I, I get all that. It's just, you know, the patience is wearing thin, understandably. So, yeah. But uh, speaking but- of optimism and hope, got some great news uh, recently here with uh, Victory Lane Speedway coming back. What do you think about that? Well, hey, it's the uh, same track under a different ownership, and I, you know what, I'm, I all the schedules have been coming out over the last little while. I mean, Lake of the Woods Speedway has been out since November, and I have people asking if we released a schedule. I guess I released <laughs> it so early that everyone yeah. it glossed over it, so I, I've made sure it's in an accessible place. And that's just for me. I've always been one to try to schedule things early. When I was in emo, it was the same type of thing. We had our AGM in late November, and I'm like, here's a proposed schedule. Let's put it together because there isn't a ton of deviation. Now, with with Victory Lane Speedway and the new ownership, of course, there's what we've seen so far is a bit of an overhaul with the scheduling, and I'm sure adjustments will be made as uh, as things go through here, and, and I think it's a work in progress, but you know, you see some some big changes there, and you know, Emo just announced recently their schedule. Um, you know, I think everyone's hoping that we have some sort of normalcy, although um, there are a few individuals who've spoke to me that said May is probably going to be a wash because we are only like six weeks, five weeks from it, and there hasn't been much change in terms of restrictions, even though there's been some discussion. And who knows what these variants and all that. So Emo's had yeah. a contingency plan in terms of 
you know, what's going to happen if, if COVID is an issue still or, or we're in full lockdown, who knows, of running limited, more limited events instead of the schedule they've released. I know for, for us in Kenora, you know, it's it's very easy to kind of pinpoint because we did it last year of, of what we should remove and where our hopefulness is to, to run. And then not so good news with um, with Morton today, hearing that uh, with COVID and possible lack of ambulance, people won't be running this year. There's a, there's a, there's a chance they won't be able to run. So, you know, there's, there's hope and optimism, but at the same time, there's, uh, you know, still a lot of concern about the, the COVID deal going on. Yeah, no, I I hope that those guys can figure that out. Uh, It's good for racing in this area to have, you know, more than just one or two weekly tracks to be, uh, to be racing around there. And, I really do like what Emo put out there. That's that was uh, I thought really well thought out. Of here's the plan. If if things open up, if they can't, this is what you can expect. We're gonna do our best, and uh, we're gonna try and make a go of it. I I really like the way that they rolled that out. Because you know, every if you go and roll it out in just one like, here's how it is, or here's how it's gonna be, and then obviously it's tough to predict where things are gonna go. Um, it, it's nice to know what uh, what Plan B is, you know. So. Well, yeah, and I mean for for Kenora here, it's it's the the lateness. I'm going to say in quotations the lateness of the practice and the um, and the opener on the 25th of June is actually less to do with COVID and more to do with having to replay the racetrack and redo the backstretch. Well, like there's a lot of work to be done out there, and luckily it's been an early spring, so we can actually start getting at at it in the next week or two uh, after uh, after finishing off the month of March. But um, yeah, that's COVID could still play into it like it did last year where we yeah. wanted to start earlier, although we did have practices in May. Uh, May 23rd was the first practice. So that's right now for, for Kenora, it's, it's more so um, just construction reasons than it is for COVID, but yeah, the adjustment I, will be. I heard you're, uh, you're reshaping and you're making it just like Bristol. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. It's <laughs> going to be a full half mile. Nice. 18 degrees of banking. <laughs> Everyone parks on the infield. Everyone parks on the infield and those that don't have to go on the outside of the Coliseum that we build. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, yeah. I think the what we're going to do is is the back stretch is going to be widened out another 10 feet. It's going to go straight to the rock cut and then we're going to rewall the back stretch uh, so it's uh, safer and easier to to uh, the way the track's going to be shaped so that guys aren't looking like they have to turn harder to, to keep it straight. So it's going to be more oval shaped on the back stretch versus right now it's kind of a D corner then into a D. So I'm yeah. hoping with the new slope and uh, the new clay around the whole track, we're going to lift the banking a little bit on the outsides of one and two and, and especially three and reshape four a little bit. Um, try to get that second groove out. I mean, we're not going to bank it like crazy like most of the other tracks are around here because you know, I had heard from a lot of drivers that it's great to have, you know, a technical type racetrack out there where you have to really be mindful of how you come into the corners and how you come out. And so I kind of want to maintain that. And the advantage is with the longer corners, drivers are already maintaining a pretty good clip, even on the inside of the track, even when it dries out. So by adding baking, I'm just hoping to add that second groove. And then when you come into the, onto the back stretch, that extra sloping is going to allow you to maintain that speed where before you may have lost it. Um, when it was flatter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a little so. bit more help to the upper groove would, would do wonders at that track. Uh, like it a lot. It's just yeah. a little tough to make the outside work right now. It can, and when it does, it's awesome. Yeah. Just a little bit more help out there. And, and like you said, not too much because it's no fun when it doesn't matter if it's one line around the tires or 
everybody's just hammered down on the cush. Like there's no, you gotta, you gotta balance. Right. So, yeah. Right on. Well, speaking of hammer down on the cush, we uh, had a pretty hammer down interview with, uh, with Ryan. You want to get into it? Absolutely. Let's do it. Say hello to our next guest on Bench Racing Radio. This guy's a veteran from the Red River Co-op Speedway scene, or formerly known as Red River Co-op Speedway scene. Uh, started racing in the Modifieds and then worked his way up to late models recently and is a feature winner in both classes. Welcome to the podcast, number 29, Ryan Carlock. How's it going, Ryan? Hey, doing pretty good. Thanks a lot for having me on, boys. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, you came on in the middle of a slow news week. You don't have too much to talk about. I don't know. I don't know. I was out of town all last week, so I kind of missed everything. Did something happen? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> no, so, uh, yeah, big news, obviously. The uh, the sale of uh, of the Speedway here to uh, to new ownership, going back to the name Victory Lane Speedway. Um, yeah, what, what's your first thoughts on that? I, you know what, right off the bat, just a little bit of excitement for a little bit of change and a little bit of uh, new blood in the place. So, you know, it's a little early in the stages of everything. So just you you hear a lot of stuff, but until it's uh, in front of you on paper or on the internet or Facebook, you know, you don't get too excited. But, you know, hopefully, hopefully everything goes good and hopefully we're racing and that's... You can just hope right now, which is good. And you don't have to ask if we're racing. Now you just be excited for when we go racing. Yeah, exactly. You know, got the first look at that schedule and it, uh, it's pretty ambitious, you know, really uh, excited to get to race that much again here. And, um, you know, I, I think they're going to make a good go of it. It's just going to be good to have somebody in charge who's, uh, you know, making the right choices for, for racing, not just, uh, you know, just from a profitability standpoint. Yeah, exactly. You got to be excited just because, you know, it's a family that's taking it over. So it's not just Rob and his girls and his wife, Paula. It's, you know, the whole family. So his sister is coming on and I know his parents are kind of involved there, too. So it's just, uh, you know, it's just exciting because it's just going to be some new blood and there's a little bit of young blood in there. And we're already seeing just how active they are on social media, which, you know, they've done more posts in the last week than they have, you know, the track, you know, did all year so it's yeah. kind of just nice it's just nice seeing things again because now it's like oh man i guess we've got to get the car ready let's go racing <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so no that's uh it's good uh, you know like you said hopefully uh it's a positive change here and then they can get things rolling but uh definitely giving the wishing them all the best here and uh excited for the year to come i think that's what i've heard from everybody is just pure excitement right now so yeah let's hope let's hope for the best for sure. Yeah, so let's uh, let, let's dig into uh, your background. So tell us a bit about uh, about your background in racing and uh, and you know how you got started in the sport. Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's common knowledge that my dad used to race, and uh, when he walked away in '91, we kind of walked away from racing too. Um, wasn't going to many races uh, till about the early 2000s. We started following it again. And uh, Derek Weiss and my dad knew each other, and he kept throwing free tickets at my dad. And at the time I got my beginners, my dad's like, hell yeah, got a <laughs> DD. So he, we started going every week. So kind of got hooked on it just as a fan right off the bat. Um, you know, we knew the Delane family going back from uh, 
back way back in the days for snow stomper days for snowmobiling and then uh you know they're just friends of the family so we cheered for them every time we were at the track and then uh kind of got the bug in my dad's ear that i'd want to try it someday and he just kept saying go crew for a couple years we're not touching a car until you learn how to work on the cars and if you even like it and he shouldn't have said that because that kind of made me go become a crewman and then eventually want to drive. <laughs> so, yeah, so we did that for a few years, which was, it was good. Got to see a little bit of everything. So, yeah, crewed for Rick for two years and then uh, moved into the modified class. Uh, wanted to do a couple other different classes. We were looking at super trucks, street stocks, and we actually had a deal in place for a super stock. Um, but then it got destroyed at the fall classic in Alexandria. So we were kind of like, well, we don't want that one anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So that's when a modified fell on our lap and we ended up coming, uh, racing modifieds for about, uh, 12 years, I guess. Hey, so yeah, I'll jump in there, like crewing for a couple of years. Would you agree that that was the best thing you could have done starting out or? Oh, absolutely. Like, um, (laughs) you know, I wish I could remember, some of the stuff I learned because, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I still struggle with on setups, obviously, but, um, just learning the cars, learning what to do, um, learning what it takes in the shop, watching someone like Rick, uh, who's out there every single night and what he has to go to, but also it was good too. Cause you know, Rick doesn't have the most money behind him either. So seeing how to work, with like uh with a little bit less right and you know now Mm -hmm. we see a couple guys out there that just have so much and you know rick can still kick our asses on on most days you know (laughs) yeah no that that's actually that's a great point to take a guy you wouldn't learn nearly as much from a guy who was throwing out two race old tires and putting new stuff on all the time and you know had money to burn you you learn a lot from a guy who knows how to get his mileage out of his equipment right yeah, and the shop he was working out of on his old house there in uh, Stony Mountain was um, <laughs> just big enough for the car and one person to walk around it. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't put so a jack beside you know. the car and jack it up. It was brutal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So he's doing a lot better now. He's <laughs> yeah, definitely. So yeah, so uh, jumping into a mod, you uh, what what kind of chassis did you get when you jumped into that class? So right off the bat, um, we were kind of looking around and there, there, things were different back in about 2007, I guess, when we were looking for the car. Um, there wasn't a lot of stuff kicking around here. Like nowadays, there seems to be a lot more. Um, by the time Kevin Sexton had an 06 Fagers chassis that he ran for one year, um, he didn't finish out of the top five and won that championship, and then he parked the car and never raced it again. Hmm. So... Uh, so we ended up talking with him and he gave us a hell of a deal. The car was like brand new, only had, you know, uh, 16 shows. And, uh, so that was a great starter car. Cause, uh, and he helped us out right off the bat, right at the beginning to get everything going, uh, came set up the car for that first year. And we ended up running that car for three seasons before we upgraded, we ran it, ran it for a while there. And it was a good car. Um, some some days you think wonder what you could do with that car nowadays or like mm-hmm. with any old car really um you know there's still nights i dream about my uh old uh, j car on a hammer down track <laughs> <laughs> so so you never know but um 
So that was a good car. Then we went to, uh, in 2011, we bought a brand new J car and ran that for three years. Then we went to Victory Chassis in 14, ran that for two years. And then we went to the GRT in 16, ran that for three years. And then we got a Victory Late Mall there in 2019. So what, uh, what made you decide to make the jump into the late model class? Um, I guess in the back of my head, I always had goals, right? So, you know, you always dream about winning a championship or running for one or competing for one. And then in 2018, I ended up winning the championship in Greenbush. And, you know, it was kind of right after that, it, was, it felt like I accomplished everything I hoped to wish and wish to accomplish. And it just kind of, Shane was in my ear bugging me. I think he just wanted to dump a car. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like one of the, the second last race in Greenbush, the NLRA were there and Shane's like, just drive my car. And I was like, I'm right in the middle of a battle with Rick for a championship. And then Brad Sane comes over and he's like, you know what, Ryan, uh, we really just need one more car to get the extra points. And I'm like, okay. So we signed in and I drove it and I was like, okay, well, I don't want to race a mod anymore. Let's just, <laughs> mods aren't near as fun as this thing was. So uh, made the ideal, uh, the thought to switch over a little bit easier. So we ended up just wanting to try something new and have a little bit more fun in a new class. That's awesome. So what, what's the first thing that hits you about jumping into a late model with the big fat tires? Like what's, uh... Well, the first thing I hit was the U-tire in the entry turn one because the thing just <laughs> turns on a dime. And like, if you ask Jeff, Jeff Rempel, I think his story on your podcast a couple weeks ago, he did the same thing, hopped that damn thing and uh, spun it right around the tire. <laughs> so I did the exact same thing. <laughs> he just hit the brake and the thing turns. I saw Sean Tunis do the exact same thing in his brother's late model too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's yeah. a pretty common oh, thing God. for guys who are used to cars that don't turn. <laughs> well, it's also the first car in this racing deal where there's not a stock part on it. So it drives the way a real race car should. There's no, like the brakes are so much better. The, you know, the power is so much better. It's meant to turn where the other stuff, they kind of take something that's meant to drive your family down the road and turn it into a car. This thing's meant to just turn left. Yeah, absolutely. That purpose-built chassis and all the suspension parts and everything, like there's no there's no replacement for that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so hopping into that, I mean, that was uh was it was it a really big adjustment for you to get up to race speed or once you kind of got used to the steering and the traction and everything, it was pretty decent. Well, I think it's a constant battle of still trying to get used to the damn thing. Um, the one thing about modified racing <laughs> Don't catch yourself driving it like a mod every now and then? Uh, you know what? It, it it doesn't let you, but what you end up catch yourself doing is here's where I'm at is, like, you remember in your modified days, Eric, like, you could almost float for, like, a corner or two. Like, you could just kind of, you know, sock it in there and then give a shit the next corner. But on the late model, I find myself so under driving it so much that it wants to just go and be driven the piss out of it and i find myself not driving it the way i should like i gotta treat it like i gotta treat it like uh way worse than what I, way i do i baby her way too much i gotta beat her up a little bit 
Yeah, that's that's fun when you get to do that. It's uh, tough when you're always walking on eggshells. So sounds like a, a yeah. fun transition. Yeah, like in the modified, it was so easy to overdrive it where you kind of go into the corner sometimes harder and the, and the front end would wash out or, you know, you get a little cross up where it's complete opposite in the late model where it's just so easy to underdrive it and then they just don't function the way they should. So you end up getting way worse off than where you were and you lose so much time when you do it. So that's where I'm struggling. That's interesting. And uh, hadn't really considered that angle on uh, on driving those things. So. Mm-hmm. One day I'll have to uh, take yours for a life or something. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely fun, and it's like there are the days where I miss the modified, you know, just the group and and everything and the way they work on track. But then you know you turn around and you just look at the fenders on the late model and you're just like, oh yeah, this is this is big boy stuff. I like this. <laughs> Yeah. Hey Ryan, I got a question for you. Yeah, sure. Is it easier to set up a late model than a modified? Uh well, I mean, I struggle. It's definitely all new. Um like I have to that's where I lean on uh Jeff Rempel and Shane Edgerton a lot. Um because of the coil over suspensions on the uh, shocks on these things, they um you basically need to smash them. So when you're adjusting any of them, you need to put them on a purpose built rig that measures the downforce you're getting out of the shocks um, per every inch of movement or half inch of movement. And the machine to do it is a fair bit of money that I just haven't been able to purchase. So without that, you know, you can go scale the car and without those, knowing what your shock uh, smash numbers are, you can be totally out to lunch and not be able to get around the track at all. Where in the modified, you didn't need to worry about it as much because they didn't have the coil over your shocks kind of controlled stuff, but everything was set. Ride heights were set. Everything was set on flat ground or on scales. So just the setup to get to the track is a lot more, a little bit in depth. The changes bar angles, um, and, you know, on front end stuff, you know, very similar. Um, any change you do for a rear angle of your bars uh, is just kind of affects the chassis five times, almost 10 times what it did in the modified because it's just the way they react. So I've had to change my driving style. I still drive the damn thing too straight, but it's definitely been an uphill battle. And it usually take, takes me about a half a season to get used to or up to speed on a car so last year with only running seven nights you know i just sucked <laughs> so <laughs> wasn't able to get up on my adjustments we weren't running enough and then just when i would figure something out you know conditions change because you know usually you could figure out something at a weekend if it's not working well now it's taking you a week or two because your last year we didn't race at all mm-hmm. so wait are you trying to say that the time that you have you you've only won once in late model right is that dumb luck or what are we saying here <laughs> i've won twice come on now give me okay, a little twice. bit of credit yeah whoa, you know? whoa, whoa. sorry and, my and, apologies and uh, the, the sh- second <laughs> one wasn't as important right uh, <laughs> no no that that you know what? i think the uh second one was more dumb luck than the first one so <laughs> yeah 
Well, it's funny. Speaking of dumb luck, let's move into the misfire round. Ten questions. <laughs> Have you heard this before? Uh, once or twice, yeah. Once or twice. Okay. Well, none of the questions are the same as they have been in the past. In fact, there's a couple questions that have been consistent. I've completely removed them because you are the Ryan Carolick. You ready to go? Oh, okay. All right. Number one, Ryan, heads or tails? Uh, tails. Number two, Mega Man or Rock Man? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, what the heck are those things again? Nintendo Remember, Mega Man's the guy with the, the blue guy with the blaster. There's like 400 games. Oh, and Rockman's just the Japanese version. Okay, let's go. Let's go, Rockman. Okay. Number three, Digimon or Pokemon? Neither. You have to choose one. I'm sorry. Okay. Pokemon? Yeah, that's right. That's the one I like. Pokemon. <laughs> All right. Number four, red or black licorice? Uh, we'll go red. Uh, number five, snow or rain? I'm a snow guy. I like snow. Number six, cold weather or hot weather? Uh, you can only get so naked, and in the winter, you can put clothes on, so I don't mind the winter at all. <laughs> nice. Number seven, Sailor Jerry's or Captain Morgan? Oh, we're flowing the boat with the Morgan all day, all day, <laughs> and currently. <laughs> I told you, Eric. I told you I knew which one it was going to be. <laughs> Number eight, just to go with the whole sailor captain deal, 20 lashes or walk the plank? Oh, we'll walk the plank. I could float pretty good. I'm pretty big. <laughs> Number nine, cowboys or aliens? Uh, I'm a big sci-fi guy. We'll go aliens. Nice. And number 10, best lap time or best place? Uh, well, best place. I don't do that too often, so might as well pick oh. it here. <laughs> All right. There we have it. The misfire round. Nice. Yeah, my uh, my answer for the uh, the rum, I thought, or at least my answer would be, um, it's captains if you want to drink all night, but sailors if you're not concerned about the longevity of it, because <laughs> it's really tasty. But ooh boy, they kick. Yeah, well, I'm more worried about the two day hangovers now, so I have to factor that in what I got planned later on in the week. <laughs> gonna check the day planner. Yeah. Oh man, I gotta work again. God, I just worked last week. Yeah, better load this one up with ice. Yeah, gotta sober up. Well, that's great. So, um, yeah, I guess one thing I wanted to go back and touch on was, uh, you know, back when you were racing with Delane, it was uh, a local legend here, Al Delane. You got to uh, be around him there for a few years while you're doing that. Uh, what do you What do you remember most about being around Al? <laughs> you know what? Um, looking back, I'm just really lucky to actually have been able to spend quite a bit of time with Al. And you know, Big Al for such a little guy is such a funny name. But it wasn't just his stature that got him that nickname. It was just he loved everyone wanted to help everyone out he didn't care who you are or what you raced he wanted to be a you know any party could do to help you was all he wanted to do and it was too bad we lost him so so um young you know cancer is a pain in the ass and a bitch man but um i'm just thankful that i got to meet him and get to know him real close we spent a lot of hours in that uh in the crew cab there on the way to and from most tracks and late night drives from uh, Greenbush home. He had these big white teeth and he was always smiling, but late at night he would start smiling and it's like two 30 in the morning. We're heading home from Greenbush and he, he, the, the radio would reflect or reflect off his teeth. 
And you could just see the, you would see the uh, mirror, like the window start glowing a little bit. And you knew you couldn't get to the window fast enough because he had a colostomy bag, I think it was called. And he would crack <laughs> it and prevent some of the pressure. So you're sitting there and it's like, it's the worst. It's like pure uh, raw. It's like a hundred farts. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's worse than that. <laughs> it's so bad. And, and you just, and the only, the only glimpse of a little bit of warning was just all of a sudden it would get brighter in the, in front of them and around them. Right. <laughs> and you're, just, you're just, you're just scrambling for the window and you can't find it in the dark. <laughs> couldn't open the truck window fast enough no oh man <laughs> uh, i think it would have even in a convertible it wouldn't have helped <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah so uh yeah you know just some good memories so at least there's those to hold on to yeah no he uh he was the best he was just such a a fun guy and and you know like you said big al it was just he was larger than life he really yeah. was it was just yeah it's uh it's pretty cool that the you know the race that that rick ended up putting on and you helped a lot uh early on too yeah uh, yeah that was neat. that was something that was like the least we could do and uh mm-hmm. you know it's too bad that race has kind of faltered in the last little bit we you know we lost three of them to weather i think back to back to back and then last mm-hmm. year, uh, last year with uh, it finally being able to run, which was nice, but um, you know, it just well, I wish we could. Uh, maybe we need to start talking now since there's a little bit of new ownership. Hopefully, try and build that back up to where it should be. It should be the premier mod race in this region, just because that's what it needs to be. Yeah, <laughs> and it's the least yeah. we can do in Al's honor, right? Like we have a chance to build up two massive races in this area and, and you know, another one is another guy we lost way too damn soon was uh, the Brad wall Memorial. That is, that could be stellar. And, you know, when you have the Alda lane, that's, you know, two classes that could have really good uh, Memorial races around here that uh, need to be ran and built back up bigger and better. Yeah. You know, just uh, any one of the number of things that COVID has, has hurt, you know, that's, uh, I, I definitely agree with you. That's something we got to get back on track. It'd be easy to let it fall to the wayside now and, you know, getting everything back up and running, but yeah, pretty important that we, we keep that going. I agree. Yeah. Well, and it's just for the memory of those two too, right? Like, I mean, I mean, those, you know, ah, that Brad one is coming up on four or five years here next week or two. And it's just, uh, that one still hurts, uh, just cause he was, you know, so freaking young. But, yeah. you know, you see that race and you see the street stock guys that supported that race. And, man, they put on some pretty damn good racing for that event. Um, you know, you just want to see it happen again. So hopefully we can help the walls out and get that thing up and running again when, you know, the world opens up. Yeah, no, it speaks a lot about uh, Brad's character and how much people thought of him that people were driving from tracks that they would have never traveled to hear from, you know. They well, never exactly. like they're, they're guys that never ever would have come to Winnipeg for any reason, but they came up there to to do that for him, and that was pretty cool. And such a great group as a whole, those street sock guys right now. They uh, they're having the time of their lives and racing their asses off. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a uh, there's a good mixture of even with that class not being in uh, in Winnipeg anymore, but you know with the the crew that they've got Morden and then the guys down south that that do that traveling there, they're they're wild. <laughs> 
yeah exactly <laughs> fun fun group so uh you know like you got the vogels the dykoffs and the satters and you know um a bunch of the other ones carters are fucking good times so um yeah you know and there's still street stocks in morden and all that stuff so hopefully hopefully i can start it over again and reset the reset the both of those really yeah no for sure i totally agree um one uh one funny story i wanted you to to share on here was the uh, the propane wayne story oh god (laughs) (laughs) on your dad here (laughs) oh man yeah oh geez uh i'm trying to uh I got to kind of think for a second here and reel it in. Cause I could, um, I can't give it all the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you caught me off guard with this one. Uh, yeah. So in my trailer sleeps six and I sleep on the top bunk. And then uh, my crew guy, Mark Favreau and his wife, Ellen were on the uh, table. And then my dad was out having a good time in Grand Forks. Cause you can never have a bad time in Grand Forks. True so, story. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, Mark and I and Ellen, we were, we drank or whatever, and we were good done for the night. So we crashed. And when all of a sudden the door flies open and you hear pots and pans and bang, bang, pat, bash. It just, the old man's banging off everything. Finally falls into the bed and goes to, goes to sleep. So some time goes by and all of a sudden I'm getting, uh, shaken awake and Eric, well, we can t- discuss another story, the penis finger story, right away after this. <laughs> about, about, yeah, okay. you, you know for one how well I wake up in the middle of the night. This is true. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we'll get back to that. We'll round the corner and come back to that. <laughs> so I guess at some well, Mark wakes me up and I'm like, I wake up like what the heck what's going on he's like ryan there's something there's something going on the sewer's backing up or something so i'm like oh yeah okay so get up go to the go looking around there's nothing wayne's uh out cold and i open up the bathroom and i get a whiff of fresh air and i'm like whoa so then i stop and i'm just listening and all i can hear is <laughs> well i guess it wasn't pots and pans that were being banged around it was his armor's head off of the oven or the stove and he cracked the valves wide open and like <laughs> that week we oh, we just filled the propane tanks and the next morning when i checked they were empty <laughs> like there was a lot of propane in this thing right so i'm like oh shit so i shut them off swing the door open and i'm standing there i was like as long as nothing turns on we'll be good like fresh air will come through and as i'm thinking this the air conditioner kicks on <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> so of course we wake up the next morning, eh, and uh, Dad wants us to cook breakfast, and there's no propane to cook breakfast. <laughs> I just filled those. Yeah, we emptied them last night. <laughs> oh man! Oh yeah. So that's where Mark gave him the moniker of Propane Wayne. So. <laughs> just blows up the trailer <laughs> he still denies that happened <laughs> there was just a random leak oh, yeah. happened to be while he was banging around in the trailer yeah. okay. <laughs> uh, uh, love it. but back to the penis fingers and waking yes. up in the middle of the night <laughs> well, let me, I, so you were sleeping so let me i started that story so i started so 
we were uh, we were partying. I think it was one of the last races of the year one night. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we were we were having a good time. And uh, you had you had colder at night. You were sleeping on the couch in your trailer or somebody's trailer. I don't know. Ward's old rig where everyone slept yes. in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so I sneak in there and I'm like, here we're gonna give Ryan the old. Uh, we called it Edward Penis Hands. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> what you do is you go and you draw a dickhead on each on each finger on the guy's hand. <laughs> And when he wakes up, he's just going to be really confused. He's got five cocks on his hand, and it's it's funny. <laughs> so I carefully grab your hand, and I start drawing. I think I got about one or two in when suddenly, like, you didn't wake up groggily. You woke up, like, eyes open right now, and then just punched me right in the mouth. <laughs> just right now. I didn't take a second to assess the situation or ask what the hell is going on. It was just pow, pow right in the kisser, man. Oh. Was, you know, I deserve that one. Oh my god, that was so funny. Yeah, I just remember oh, how I sour thought. you were. Well, I was like, "What the hell, man?" Like, I don't know. I, you know, just thinking, me, not not a fighter at all. You know, I would just that would never cross my mind to just punch somebody who was standing there when you woke up. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, I totally get it. Oh man, I just remember. I don't even remember it barely, and I just know I was passed out instantly right after. Yeah, you went right back to bed. I was like, you know what? I think I'll let him sleep. Yeah. Yeah. So bother someone else. Oh shit. <laughs> So good. Oh, yeah, that's that's good. I almost uh, forgot about that one. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> I, I, you know what is funny? You're you're like, oh, come up with some travel stories. I was like, well, I've had some pretty good fun with you guys. Remember when we <laughs> took your brother's truck in my trailer to Jamestown for the truck race? I didn't go that weekend. Oh no. <laughs> no, but you definitely need to tell us all about it though. <laughs> oh, it'd be way more funny if you were there. <laughs> I, heard the, I heard the stories. I can probably corroborate some of it, but <laughs> yeah. Well, I just remember that was our first adventure to Jamestown, and I don't think Jamestown was ready for about 25 Canadians. <laughs> I, like, they probably, they've had a couple, but they now they got a bunch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that was in 08 or 09. It was early. It was 09 because I was racing my lightning sprint that weekend. Oh, okay, yeah. That's why I couldn't go. Oh, yeah. I just remember we had everyone loaded in the trailer at the end of the night. We were just drinking. I had the tunes blasting, and there's 30 people in there just bouncing on the like the beaver trail tail where it kind of goes down at the back and yeah. the trailer is bottoming out the suspension there's hands <laughs> on the roof like till the day i sold that thing there's still handprints on the roof on the inside they're just mucky handprints everywhere we're bouncing this thing there's tattoos getting licked on there's booze spilling everywhere <laughs> oh my I remember god and you people playing broom as a guitar Oh, that. that was Billy. So Billy Maruka, <laughs> Chris for me now, and uh, he was crewing for Jesse Peterson back in the day and uh, raced street stocks on his own uh, on his own for a couple of years. But mm -hmm. yeah, we're, we're sitting there. We got music cranked, and he's got the broom, and he's just sitting there, just strumming away. We look at him, and he just stops, looks at us, dead face takes the broom and smashes it against the doorway of the trailer, <laughs> and it's like bent at a ninety degree angle on the shaft. And he's like. It sounds so much better now. <laughs> <laughs> just keeps going on. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, yeah, that was a good time. 
Yeah. <laughs> I heard the stories of that one and it was like, oh man, I missed a good one. <laughs> yeah. That was an old timer. And then on the way back, we're all just haggard and hung over and we're just outside Devil's Lake. So then we decided to back the trailer down the hill and open the door like almost right into the water. And we just sat there. We just had to kill some beers just to sober up. (laughs) (laughs) Which sounds back ass words, but it works. Trust me. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Hair of the dog. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That's great. Well, as entertaining as that has been, Ryan, I got some entertainment for you. It's called In the Driver's Seat. We're going to find out exactly what it's like to be you in that race car. You ready? Okay. (laughs) These are some longer answers. They don't have to be yes or no, neither, neither, nor. Okay. Um, and you can answer them in multiple ways because we've received questions from people we've interviewed about saying, can we answer it in multiple ways? You are more than welcome to. Okay. Yeah. All right. Number one, which driver do you have the most fun racing against? Oh, it'll be a couple really. Um, I really enjoyed every race I did with Aaron Holton. Him and I just always ra- raced each other clean and drove each other hard. So, um, you know, he was definitely fun. Um, Sean Tunis, when he finally came up and grew a pair of balls and came modified racing, he was great. <laughs> you know, that's that's one of my best friends. So being able to race one of your best friends, um, you know, we were always mad at each other. And, um, <laughs> and uh, so he's always a fun one. We're always snapping at each other, how much we hate each other, but we're like brothers. So um, nice. <laughs> and late models, um, you know what, a uh, couple guys there, you know, I don't get to race around Shane too much because he usually just slide jobs with me and fucks off. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I've had some good races with a couple of boys up in there. So there, you know what? There's more guys I enjoy racing than not. So I guess that mm. maybe maybe they don't have that same response. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, that's good. Number two, what went through your mind the first time you jumped into a car and started your first race? Oh boy, this was a mistake. we were out of our league that was back in 08 when um there was 22 modifieds every week and uh i didn't know what the hell i was doing we didn't get any testing um so i didn't get any laps on it It was just basically drop the green flag and go and i just remember going down the straightaway turning the wheel to the left and the thing just pushing up the track and i'm like oh we're doing it wrong (laughs) (laughs) so there was a couple oh shit moments <laughs> clench your butthole and let's go <laughs> <laughs> all right number three if you went three wide with a lap to go which spot would you prefer to be side. In the inside side. middle the outside and wide hey i gotta finish the question <laughs> i control the question you answer when i'm done this is like jeopardy you oh, wait no. until i'm done <laughs> buzzer's <Yeah>. ready <laughs> You know, I'm a high high side guy, so all day. Do you just <laughs> hate the bottom, or is it just not where you prefer? Uh, bottom's not scary enough. <laughs> Tell that to Ward Emery. <laughs> hey, he's creeping up higher and higher now. I think he just gets bored out there. So, you know. Well, it's like he mentioned uh, in his interview, I think uh, there was one time where he, he thought he was on the outside, and then and then when he watched the video later, he found out he was like, one lane up from the bottom. <laughs> Pretty much. So I felt like I was on the outside. Don't you were just under the middle. Yeah. <laughs> Number four, what do you do in the car just before you drive out of the pit stall? So I'm a I'm a weird guy. So I get in the car really early. And I usually just have to sit there and get my 
breathing under control. So I just basically calm out, zone out a little bit, and just kind of try and focus in a little bit because you don't, I don't know, for me, if I go in there or a rush to get in there, I don't catch my breath and I don't calm down. Um, nothing good ever comes of it for me. So <laughs> that's the first thing I do. I, I don't get the guys who can just like just jump in the car, throw it on, and it just be gone. Like, uh, yeah, I would be. Jerome would still be walking around his car, setting his tire pressures, and I'd be rolling out to staging. <laughs> I'd be like, how do you do this, man? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> well, and and for us now, it's like, uh, well, not anymore. But when we used to have the B mods in front of us, it was like put my helmet on and like, why? And then it's like 45 minutes later, you know, still, still in lineup. And I'm like, Oh man, this is kind of dumb. <laughs> I remember, I remember this past summer, speaking of Jerome, I remember this past summer in Kenora in the two day show. And on the Saturday I was in the pits at the far, far end for a variety of reasons, but let's letting the races be the races. And I think, I think the Midwest mods, and it wasn't a long race. The Midwest mod feature on the first day was, I think there was two cautions and it was relatively quick, but I was at the far end there and I saw Jerome. Jerome's like not even ready to go. And they're probably halfway done the Midwest mod race. And we're just having a conversation. And I look around and all the mod guys are like jumping in their cars or already in their cars. And Jerome's just like, what's going on, Anthony? How's, how's things? I'm just like, you do realize you should be, you know, getting in this car right about now, right? And I want, we talked for 30 seconds and, and uh, next thing you know, everyone else is, all the mods are pulling out and he's just getting into his car. He didn't seem to care. And then he went out there and won. Like, yeah, then he won. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's how it works. Yeah, I better try that actually. Yeah, it doesn't take time to think about it. He just does. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it usually yeah. takes me 15 minutes to wedge into my seat, so I have to get in early. But if I can speed gotta, up that process a little bit, got to get everything try. to fill in properly. Hey, exactly. <laughs> Number five, what race would you consider the one that got away? Oh, okay. So, uh, 2019, it was a um, race in Grand Forks. Um, I, I, you know, this one still haunts me to the day. So this is hard to talk about. I led a ton of laps, um, got to the lead four laps in led all the way up to basically the white, you know, five feet short of the white flag and Brad sang, got me. And, uh, I was able on the coming to the checkered cross over on the back straightaway and get a heck of a run. And I got right up beside him and turned three, four. And if I would have just moved up a little bit, maybe nudged him or bumped him or something, but I, played the clean card and figured a second would be pretty good. So he ended up winning by like two feet over me. That one still hurts. Cause I just led, I've been dreaming about winning at the freaking bowler bowling. And at that point, Shane, I just didn't had it won one <laughs> in like 17 years, 17 years of trying. And I just wanted to have that dangle it over him. And then he goes out, wins one and wins a championship like a bastard. <laughs> but yeah, wow. that one, that one there got away. That one still hurts. Like, you know, I watched that video quite honestly a lot. I just, I made a mistake with two to go and I don't know why I changed my line. A little bit of grip I was grabbing started to change a little bit, a little traction spot. Mm. And I just changed a little bit and it just took a little bit of momentum. And it was just enough. We were side by side every lap, that whole freaking race. And uh, yeah, that one still hurts. I just, yeah, I just wish I would have 
done something different, anything different on that second last lap. <laughs> and that's that's the worst too, because it's like, you know, you're you're a clean driver, and it's you don't like you really wanted that win, yeah. but you 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 know you're you're thinking back on it now. Yeah, you probably would have dirtied him a little bit to get that big trophy. <laughs> But, I don't know, because um, do you want to be the guy that doors uh, Brad Sang at Grand Forks into the wall for, for like a win? Don't put it on like, the wall, but you know. Dude, oh, yes. I would have. It's yes. Brad Sang. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, like, sorry, and, if Brad Brad ever listens, <laughs> and if Brad ever listens to this yeah. listens to this and remembers next time we're at the Wasoda meetings, he's totally going to poke me for saying that. You would let Ryan Carroll yeah. smoke me another. Yeah. And there's yeah. a couple drivers in the field I would have left in the sixth, the sixth row, so. <laughs> <laughs> but not Brad. I wanted to go home that night. <laughs> All my wit, uh, wheels get slashed. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it for in the driver's seat. Uh, Ryan, what track do you feel you've had the most success on? Greenbush all day, every day. Greenbush um, is kind of been special. You know, just 2009, won my first ever mod feature there. Um Love that track. Uh, always seem to drive it really good right from the get-go. Struggle in Winnipeg a bunch always, but uh, Greenbush just always seemed to be suit my driving style, you know, uh, when I was younger. And then in uh, 2018, you know, winning a couple races there and just being fast and always being a contender that whole season and then uh, capping it off with a uh, lucky championship in the end, really. Um so first win, first championship, you know, that, uh, that, that leaves a little special mark in your heart. <laughs> hey, they don't ask how, they ask how many, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one, the, the how many is by one. <laughs> One's more than zero, buddy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Ryan, in the early days of your racing, um, you were a bit of a controversial character, especially when it came to being online. How much do you feel you've matured since you first started racing in, in it was sort of modified moving into a late model since that time? Well, I mean, I was still an idiot online. Speak my mind. Like, not that hasn't changed. Um, it's just picking and choosing your battles a little bit. Um, you know, uh, thank God that racing 2020 page was big when I first started and thank God that's over now because <laughs> used to get on there and, you know, made, made some friends, made a lot of enemies. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, the Facebook stuff. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Um, some people agree, some people disagree and everyone's welcome to their point, but you know, um, I'm just going to be honest and open and, if I say something you don't like, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry because this is how I feel. Mm -hmm. So I've always kind of, I've always, if I ever got said something um, that got me in trouble, I always did the punishment or, you know, remove posts, whatever it was that people didn't, certain people didn't like. And, you know, you just deal with it. And, but, I'll still do it tomorrow. <laughs> I'm still here and still got Facebook. <laughs> so I, and it, I know it rubs people all along. Like, oh, how do I say this? It rubs people wrong a lot of the time, but I'm not doing it because I don't care and don't want to see things succeed. 
I'm just stating that I don't like the current state of things and feel there's different ways to voice our opinion. Because right mm. now, the last couple of years, drivers haven't had a voice. Only a certain amount of drivers have. Like there's four or five drivers that they relied on. And things have been hard the last couple of years just to sit back and try and enjoy racing. Mm. So it, it's not that I meant to do anything harmful is just this is how i'm feeling i care about this i'm passionate and here's me just i need a vent and i think you know <laughs> try and do it a little bit more without pissing people off but you're still going to you're still going to piss people off even when you say good things so right you know and and how do you feel about the state of racing, uh, like in our region or even across North America as a whole, and especially in dirt track racing? What do you see in terms of where it's at right now, and and what what are your kind of expectations in the future in terms of, well, either where you race full time or or across the region as a whole? You know, each region has its own issues. Each track has its own issues. So like, there's tracks like we all love to go, Grand Forks, Jamestown. You go to these places, and there's things they're just pissed off about, too. But it's, you know, so they have their own issues. Each track has their own issues. So you're never going to make everyone happy. But, you know, the state of things, uh, you know what? It should be interesting what happens here. Let's just talk here in Winnipeg. Um, You got a a younger owner that has younger kids, and they're going to be very active on social media. And if you're not, if you're a track promoter or owner and you're not already active on uh, the social media platforms, you're shooting yourself in the foot because I don't go look at a website anymore. I go to Facebook to find out for racing so that it's more easier to get information off the free platforms that, you know, that people can grab and get constantly 24 seven in front of them there's a lot of tracks like uh, Cheyenne Speedway. They do a great job with their social media. When the late models were going there, they put up a picture of every driver, every driver that was going there kind of made that their profile picture and it got people excited. And the stands were absolutely full, you know, it, it, and it was a beautiful place and the people that came down after it, but they just drive their whole program and advertising off of social media platforms. That's where, and that like going back to your last question about, um, like some of my posts or I was really mad with our local deal was the social media aspect was falling behind and we're not getting young people to the track, all sorts of stuff there. And I just really hope that changes with the new ownership with having, you know, um, the young girls, they're able to reach a different demographic that anyone else can and getting kids to the track would be a huge plus no matter what. So I, I totally, totally happens. agree. I think that that's so key to the survival of the sport because, you know, you look at just our culture in general nowadays, it's a lot less car centric than it used to be, right? There's a lot mm-hmm. of kids growing up, they, yeah. they turn 15 or 16 and you ask them, you don't have your license yet? And they go, yeah, no, I don't really want it. My dad drives me places. And it's just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's insane to me, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, start. Sorry, I was just going to say, but maybe that's where, maybe that's where the the opportunity is. You think of people who, you know, aren't necessarily to drive on a daily basis, but then you give them an opportunity to be in a race car, and the thrill and the adrenaline rush they get from that, 
I mean, I don't think that just because we don't have an, we're not in a car culture, like people driving around on a Sunday deal in a beautiful looking car necessarily eliminates the ability to bring new people into the sport because the sport in and of itself is, is not necessarily tied to just cars. Like for me, I, I mean, this is just one person, me, but you know, I, myself, I'm not a car person at all whatsoever. I don't even know how to fix them, let alone tune them or change Mm -hmm. oil in it but I freaking love racing. And, and so, you know, it, it shows that there's still the sport itself has the opportunity to introduce people to something that's unique, even if they're not driver or car. I totally agree. And you know what the, the, the simile I'll make here is with, with hockey. Okay. The reason that I think hockey hasn't succeeded in getting a lot of people involved in the Southern States is because if you don't grow up somewhere where there's hockey rinks all over the place, and you've never strapped a set of skates on. You have no idea how insane it is what they're doing out there, right? How mm-hmm. fast those guys are and how quick and well they can skate. But if you can get people there to pay attention and watch a hockey game, they love it. They go, this is nuts. We love it. This is like it's just the craziest, best sport ever. Same thing here. Mm-hmm. You get well, people who don't skate or who don't, who aren't even interested in cars whatsoever. You, absolutely, if you get them out there and show them the sport properly they can still get hooked on it. Look at all the people that are getting hooked on mm-hmm. F1 because of the Netflix series, right? There's a lot. Right. Yeah. Uh, so guilty. Yeah. <laughs> right? As terrible as the racing is, I, I love the stupid sport, but uh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that there's a way that we've got to be able to get out there and reach these people right. and get well, them interested. And, like, and then once their foot's in the door, it's there, you know? Yeah. Cause we know what our core is. I mean, we know who our hardcore fans are, even across all age demographics. We know who our hardcore, you know, drivers are and yeah. so on. And the ones that even if they quit, they come back. It's really how do we break the the third wall almost in terms of, like you said, being able to get those new people out there and doing yeah. things. Because, I mean, the people like Austin Matthews, you know, uh, for an example, going out of the States in like a place where hockey isn't considered, well, guess what? He was introduced to it in a way that isn't the normal way you'd be introduced to it. Yeah. It's kind of our fault for uh, letting the jets go to the desert there so he could fall in love with the coyotes and learn how to play hockey faster. Exactly. Think of like, even with Wayne Gretzky going to California, same type of thing. I know this is a racing podcast primarily, but I think you can draw some parallels. You take someone like Wayne Gretzky, who is a superstar in Canada and bring him as a superstar in California. You're bringing a whole new group of people to the sport because of, because of what they're able to promote. And we need to recognize as racetracks, drivers, and so on, the hardcore people of how, what do we need to promote how do we need to promote that? And once we can do that and break through the hardcore and get into the casual, make new ca- casual fans into hardcore fans long term, that's really the uh, the essence that we're looking at. And I think when we draw back to the the new ownership that kicks in in April first on April first, no April Fool's joke, um, <laughs> you know that's the opportunity, like you said early on, of where do we reengage yeah. um, with well, our fan base, and then and then after that. How do we engage with the newer fan base or the expanded? Just on a personal note, just like the way I started, if Derek Weiss didn't give my dad free tickets, like almost every week, I wouldn't be racing today. Yeah. Yeah. So even something as giving a father free tickets, take a son. We did that for three, four years. And then it was like, okay, then we got further involved and we've been involved for 14 years going on 14 years. So 16 years, uh, including being crew. And then, another three years so 18 19 years 
every race except for the ones I've been suspended for. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's so, exactly yeah. it. And it's funny too, eh? How little things like that, you know, like the whole reason I started going to the races was because I, I wrecked my dirt bike pretty good and like smashed my leg and had a bunch of stitches and couldn't ride for a summer. So you were you wrecked a lot of shit, didn't you do that to your mini sprint too? Yeah, yeah a couple times, yeah. <laughs> That's how you learn the limits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, had that never not happened, I, I don't know. Maybe I would have tried to stick with motocross, and I never would have got into this. So, you know, it's it's funny. There are little things like that that can uh, can trigger, but when you can control them, then man, you know, you got to take advantage yeah. of it. Yeah, exactly. No, it's I, and I, you know, when I think of new drivers that have entered the sport. Uh, over the last, even just the last five to seven years, there is an increasing amount of people who never thought about racing in their entire lives and are, have either tried an event or tried racing for a year or two and thought that wasn't for them, but are still a hardcore fan or are still racing today, even a part-time schedule. You know, when I, when I think of a few people, I, I won't name names, but I can think of a few within the last five years where I'm just like, they had no go-kart experience. They had never watched a stock car race in their life. And three years later, after being a hardcore fan have now raced. Um, or our well, current race car. Drivers. One guy that definitely did that was uh, Sean Cassidy in the four cylinders. Uh, he was a fan, wanted to try it. So he actually built like the most badass Ford Escort I've ever seen. <laughs> or Focus. It was a Focus? I think it was uh, a Focus. Yeah. yeah. And that, he, he just lives actually down the road from me. So I could talk crap about this guy. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but he built a car and ran that for a couple of seasons and then won. And then he decided to move up to. Uh, pure stocks and he made an even badder ass pure stock of, out of a ford mustang we you know the only ones dumb enough to do that are the mccrays <laughs> <laughs> and the night nice, and the nice thing about that car is that you could have run it as a four so the fox body as a four cylinder or a pure stock because it meets the uh wheelbase uh, oh geez yeah. yeah yeah so that was a badass car too bad that thing had to go to alberta but uh you know so but that's a guy who was just a fan and he spent you know four or five years running and we need more of that yeah it's not all going to be lifers in the sport forever uh you know there are going to be people who come and go and we've got to keep people coming in the door because eventually the ladder dries up and and you could be in trouble yeah it's it's kind of like so it's i laughed when you guys called me a veteran at the end uh, at the beginning of this (laughs) because it just still feels feels funny but i've seen enough come and go where there's a couple of guys that just came and dumped a shit ton of money, wrecked everything they could wreck, and then some, and then start wrecking other people's stuff just for fun, <laughs> and then they walk away and they're like, well, it, it, it those those people I feel the worst for because you know they never got to experience the longevity of it or you know they just put themselves in a hole right off the start, and you know that's tough and it really sucks watching it but it's part of the deal too and i think it's really and i'm glad you brought that up because it really brings in the thought that you know as a racing community when new people come into it it's so important for us to mentor new people getting into it to help minimize the burnout that either financially or personally or whatever that people run into and whatever class to get into i mean i i know it firsthand uh, with a new track and and trying to get new people into the sport and and having these conversations of people who are interested and and trying to you know you know try to calm down expectations mm-hmm. in terms of like if you 
if you can't afford a Midwest mod or a pure stock, but you want to go racing, get a four cylinder. And I know people will be like, well, you know, they're not race cars and this and that. And, and, you know, for a variety of reasons, I hear it all the time. It's just like, but I always think back and I've mentioned it in the previous podcast, you know, like Kenny Wallace says, it doesn't matter what you're racing as long as he's racing. Yeah. You know, if you can only race a lawnmower because they do lawnmower races, then that's what you do. Don't feel like you need to spend $30,000 in order to start racing. You can't with it. Look, we talked before we started recording. You look at my brother, Christopher, you know, we bought the very first four link that ever existed from the late 1980s to get to start turning laps. Was it competitive? No. Was it going anywhere? No. Did it get him seat time at a minimum cost? Yes. And you know what? He's still racing 14 years later because of that yeah well that's funny and, you, you, funny you bring up kenny wallace because i remember one time kenny wallace snapped some wheel studs and a four-cylinder guy actually chirped him it was like um <laughs> i drive a four-cylinder and even i have arp studs <laughs> 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 and, and it was like everything just stopped i think that thing had a couple hundred likes because it was just getting beat by a four-cylinder it's just so sad <laughs> oh jesus <laughs> but but yeah it's yeah. uh you know, it's, 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 I think it's really important more now than ever to, you know, have the community participate in, in supporting, you know, I can give you another example. I won't name names where we had someone who's new to the sport running old equipment, you know, you know, kind of getting in people's way because of the fact that just super inexperienced and, and just not where it needed to be. And, and two people had a conversation about this and the con the idea was, well, we can do two things because there was a question that was asked by one individual. The other individual said, well, there's two things we can do. We can either let that person go out there and, and run into all sorts of brick walls in terms of difficulty and, and not know what they're doing and, 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 and not trying to, but getting in the way, um, not understanding how the car works, this and that, and then have them quit. And then you never have to worry about them again. Mm -hmm. Or as a community, you can talk to them help them out, mentor, maybe find them a different car, give them some tips or whatever, and have that person continue to improve. And now you have a competitor. So there's really two options for us when it comes to the sustainability of the sport and, and the drivers that we have. For the most part, the help is always going to be there. Um, I've never turned down helping someone. Uh, a lot of people I know never turn it down. Um, you're always willing to help get a person if it benefits the whole thing, just like get them pointed in the right direction. But it's also got to be that person willing to accept it because you could offer them the winning setup, put them on the pole and they can go out there and spin the tires and take out the entire field and not even think twice about it. But you, you know, you could set them up for failure, but they have to be able to want it and accept it and listen which is, I think, a lot harder than the people. Oh, yeah. You know, red, red, flag, know, red flag for me is when you start trying to help somebody and then they start trying to explain to you why you're wrong. Well, no, 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 because this? <laughs> and you're like, okay, fine, then yeah. do it yourself. I don't know. Yeah. Like, what do you want me to do, buddy? Yeah, and it's like even you could you go around, you talk. You got to talk to three, four, five guys and girls um, and you got to be like, hey, and you got to take their experience of the change or what you're looking for and you take half their information and you kind of find a medium between all the uh, answers that you think might suit you. Right. And you want to try and talk to people that suit your driving style. So when I was struggling with the mod 
towards the end of the career there, I started gravitating towards Travis Sauer and, you know, he invited me down. I went down, um, he set up my car, we changed a bunch of stuff. Um, I was already buying shocks off him. So we opened up a dialogue there and became friends over it. And, um, you know, he ended up sending me in a way better direction. So, you know, that was me reaching out to him and him accepting it. And I had already been racing for, you know, 11 years at this point. So you're still constantly, no matter how far you are into this thing, you're always going to need some help. Absolutely. Yeah. Surefire way to, to go wrong is to try and do it all yourself from scratch. That's yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And like, even today in the late mall, it's like, I'm leaning so heavy on Shane and Jeff. And there's some nights where, you know, Shane doesn't even want to talk to me, <laughs> but you know, at least Jeff's there to be the little intermediate and, you know, you can kind of dissect what I'm trying to say. Cause I'm an idiot. Don't know what's going on half the time. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes you have to also have help that has a lot of patience, like those guys do with me. <laughs> so uh, that's great. One last question for you, Ryan, before we, uh, we finish off here. Um, what are your expectations long-term in that class in a late model? Are you, are you chasing for as many wins? Are you thinking points consistency or just going out and having some fun? You know what? Uh, we'll see what this year goes, how it goes. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, my crew guys weren't having fun. So they sat me down and things needed to change. So we're trying to keep things lighthearted and fun and we also want to run good you that's definitely got to be part of it you know we're not we're not here to just make laps but you know i'm also just turned 34 and thinking well maybe it's time to try something different so maybe in the end you know i'm not saying retirement right off the bat but it's you know, I'm already thinking if I wanted to retire, I'd probably still be around the track and probably try and help out maybe doing some, um, I did some, uh, race directing a couple times and enjoyed that. So it might give that a try or try maybe, uh, teching, something along those lines. I'll probably be involved with racing for a long time to come yet, but you know, there's always going to be a, something to do with racing and I'm going to be around for a while yet. So. We're not going to get rid of you that easy. No, you guys are screwed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, no, that's great, man. We uh, thank you for coming on. It's great. Like we're, it's fun to watch you, uh, you know, going around in the, in the lates and, and being competitive. You know, we, you jumped in that class. I thought, shit, like what, why, why he did that? Really? Like, wow, this is, that's a big jump. And uh, that's the same thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But to, to see you do well in it there, it's, it's awesome. And we're, we're pulling for the little guy there. So, yeah. yeah well, thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. So, hopefully we can, uh, you know, pick up a couple wins this year, run pretty good, run strong, and uh, just hopefully good things are coming. Well, Ryan, we appreciate having you on. Thank you so much for some really good stories and uh, some of your opinions on on the sport as a whole. And we appreciate each and every one of you listening into our episodes at Bench Racing Radio. Thanks so much. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Bench Racing Radio. Like and follow our social media handles. Facebook at Bench Racing Radio. Twitter at Bench Racing Rat One. Or Instagram at Bench Racing Radio.